Kia ora. So welcome to you guys, if you are new especially, it's so good to have you. And if you haven't been around for a while, um, it's good to have you back. We have been doing a series at the moment called This Must Be Stronger Than That. And we've heard some awesome talks, we've heard Dan give the first one on Love Must Be Stronger Than Hate. And we had Ella who did a talk on Trust Must Be Stronger Than Control. And then we had Rob last week of Compassion Must Be Stronger Than Indifference. And today, my talk is Forgiveness Must Be Stronger Than Bitterness. And I'm aware that even me saying the word forgiveness conjures up some emotions for some of you guys. It is not a, a topic that is, I, I hold lightly. It is a strong topic. And for some of you, you may be going through some tough times at the moment and hearing that word forgiveness, you kind of want to stand up and kind of make the way to the door at the moment. Um, and I just want to say that your resistance to forgiveness, um, I understand that and that's okay. I'm not going to force you to do anything. And hopefully you feel this is a safe space to talk about. And hopefully by the end of that, you can hear that in my heart. Um, this is someone that has been processing this throughout my life, forgiveness, in the past, and also I journey towards this. So forgiveness. Perhaps one of the most difficult things that Jesus commanded us to do as Jesus' followers. It's not a natural response for me, for when someone hurts me, to go towards them in love and want to re like release the debt that they owed me to walk towards them in restoration and to try to reconcile with them. My natural response, my reflex, is that I want to repay the hurt that they gave me um, to make it even, if not, maybe a little bit more, so that they get it. And I don't want to walk towards them, I want to back away from them. I see it in its rawest form in my home on a daily basis. Uh, because I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old, and um, I love them to bits, but my two-year-old is kind of like my husband. She's this beautiful rat bag, this, like, antagonist. And um, she'll just go up to my five-year-old for no reason, she's not even angry at her, and go up and, like, pull her hair just to get a reaction. And so, of course, my five-year-old will go and retaliate and try to hurt her twice as badly. And by the time that... Um, me or Rob get to both of them. They are like two drunken guys brawling like in a pub. And we literally have to separate them like physically, like you go that room, you go that room. And to try to tell my five-year-old, don't retaliate, it's only going to make it twice as bad for you and for Willow, it is like telling her that giving presents is better than receiving them, which I've tried, it's also the same reaction. <laughs> it's like she looks at me like... Mum, you've gone crazy. It really isn't true. It's not how I'm feeling, and that's not the way, the way the world works. In a way, it's not far off how the world runs, right? We see it throughout history and today. We see it in politics, where one um, side is trying to insult the other one, and the other goes and tries to insult the other one twice as bad. And it's evident in gangs, you know, you hurt my family, I come after yours. And you see it in like countries with wars. You invade my country, I come and bring my military twice as bad. 
And we see it in our everyday lives. It may be more subtle. Hopefully it's more subtle than that. But it's like this. You spoke badly about me behind my back. I tell twice as many people the worst qualities in you. You interrupt me and make me feel small at the workplace. I tell you about your story and make you feel stupid. You dump me. I get find someone else so that you know that I'm happier without you. And there's some short-lived sweetness to revenge, right? Come on, that's why we like movies like The Punisher, where the main character comes and he just annihilates everyone that has anything to do with the killing of his family. We're like, yeah, no inch of compassion, just get them. And there's something so satisfying to me, vulnerable, that's no, not, um, when I'm driving and I'm in traffic and someone cuts me off, okay, I'm like, Ugh. and then they go to the next lane thinking that that's going to be faster for them. They don't know that there's traffic up ahead in that lane and I drive past them. I know it's really juvenile, but at that point of time, I feel like I'm winning at life. <laughs> Side note, being angry and wanting justice for an evil in itself isn't bad. It's actually right. If we are ambivalent, if we are nonchalant about the sin that's against us or others, if we just don't really care about it, there is something that has gone wrong with your view on sin and evil. We should be angry and we should want justice. The difference is, is what we do with our anger and if we feel we are to be the judge and provide the justice for that person is what's important. So revenge. Here we go. It has a way of creating more devastation than there was to begin with. Lewis Mead says this, the problem with the revenge is that it never evens the score. It ties both the injured and the injurer to an escalator of pain. Both are stuck on the escalator as long as equality is demanded. And the escalator never stops. So culture tells us that when someone hurts you, that vengeance will bring about some freedom and some healing within us. But when we retaliate against evil, even though we, com we feel we're initially combating evil, what we're doing is, at best, evening out the pain. And at worst, and what often happens, is we're feeding the evil. And in the end, we absorb the worst part of our enemy. And that sometimes even we become like the enemy itself. Because like Lewis said, when someone sins against us, we are in some way linked to that sin, like a chain. And if our anger isn't put in the right place, it simmers and turns into bitterness. It doesn't free us at all. It keeps us chained to that pain. Evil persists. Brokenness continues. Now, there's so many analogies, really great ones, um, about bitterness and about unforgiveness, and that's so good. The one I found most helpful to me is this. Now, trigger warning here. If you're a vegan or a vegetarian or don't like dead things, uh, maybe avert your eyes to this picture, okay? You ready? Okay, here's Josh. He's one of our board members. He's husband to Emma, our kids' ministry leader, and he's also an avid hunter. And here he's carrying a dead deer. Yep, I think, 
on his back. And the analogy is this, that holding on to the hurt that is done to you is like carrying around a dead animal, a dead carcass, wherever you go. So whatever is your unresolved pain, maybe it's your over-demanding mum, maybe it's your abandoned father, maybe it's the betrayal of a friend or an ex-partner, the pain of what has been done to you, this is what you're carrying. And over time, it's going to have a toll on you. The smell of this animal is going to become pretty gross. And when you've had it on you for so long, sometimes you don't even realise the smell at the moment. It kind of becomes a bit more normal. But the other people around you that you meet, they can smell it. And some of us, we have held on to our bitterness for so long, it becomes us. It becomes like our identity, and we don't feel it anymore. But whoever comes into contact with us, they can feel it. They can sense it. And the other analogy is that, is that Josh has got a great posture at the moment, but if he, he was holding on to that deer, say for a week or longer, his posture is going to change. It's going to tilt, it's going to bend over. And the same thing with us, if we hold on to business for so long, the way in which our posture changes and tilts and alters and the way that we view others, the way that we view ourselves, and the way that we view God changes. Perhaps what we've done is we've been hurt by, say, a pivotal male in our life. And so what we do is we alter the change of the, how males are, and we do this, we go, oh, pretty much all males are. Fill in the blank. Or a cultural group has hurt us, so this is what we feel about this cultural group. For me, my deepest scars have been one that have been hurt by people that call themselves Christians. And in the past, what I've done is I've said, well, the majority of Christians are pretty much hypocritical, unforgiving, and untrustworthy. That's the position I saw them as. I think I've got better. I see you guys better. It's okay. Richard Raw says this, we can tell a lot by what a person does with their suffering, their hurt. He says this powerful quote, if we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. Meaning this, if we do not address and transform our pain that we have experienced, we will affect those around us. We will become more reactive. This is where our anger outburst comes up more than it should do. We become more offensive, like we become more offendable, like, oh, I can't believe they said that about us. We become more cynical, more negative towards those that are around us, like our family, our neighbours, our co-workers. And invariably the most vulnerable and the ones that get affected the most is our children. We hand it over to the next generation in varying levels and effects. So, how do we move forward from our pain so we don't transform it? It's forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's way of combating evil. It is res to restore healing for ourselves and ideally to create restoration for the other person and reconciliation for both parties. True forgiveness is this. It's giving up our right for retaliation, cancelling the debt and 
It's changing our heart towards the offender. It is not enough to decide that you want to forgive and to cancel the debt. It's a great start. It really is. But if you've just done that, you need to start to process it a little bit more, continue it down so that you can actually get rid of that bitterness and what God wants for you. Jesus over and over again taught about forgiveness and he commanded his followers to be people of forgiveness. Jesus doesn't teach about forgiveness in this morally right thing to do. He's not saying, like, it's a great thing to do for you guys. If you can do it, do it. It's great. It's not this marginal topic on the site. It's the central, crucial element of people being Jesus followers. It's the heartbeat of following Jesus. Some state it is the litmus test of being a Christian as to how or if you forgive others. Jesus places how we deal with others, how we love each other and forgive each other on such a high level. And not to scare you all, but can we look at this for a little moment so we can grasp the gravity of this um, and how deeply Jesus cares about it. So here's some scriptures. Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Mark 11.25, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. In Matthew 5.43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Over and over again, it's this high bar. So what does forgiveness involve according to the Bible? Let's go to Matthew 18, 21. It's the parable of the unmerciful servant. So here's Peter, bless him. He's always the external processor, love it. And he asked God, he asked Jesus this, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now stop here. This is Peter being really good. He's being pretty generous here. He's probably thinking, I've been around Jesus for, for a while now. I know that he grasps forgiveness as a big thing. Because in Jewish culture, you can forgive three times and then you can have repayment. So he's doubling it and adding one. But Jesus says this, Nah, Peter. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some experts, some translations say 70 times seven. It doesn't matter. It's it's not about the number. Essentially what Jesus is saying is it's infinite time that we need to forgive. Some of you are like, bummer. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. In some of your translations, it says 10,000 talents. The conversion to that for dollars now is like trillions of dollars. This is what he owed him, trillions. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this time, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. 
Now here Jesus is making a joke. He's being sarcastic. Everyone that listened to him would have been like, funny. Good one, Jesus. Because paying someone back trillions of dollars, which on the minimum wage, is not going to happen. It's just ridiculous. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Now this is maybe two, maybe three days' wages. This is doable. He could pay back this servant. But he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could, should pay back all he owed. And this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, first off, a big misunderstanding when we hear this uh, parable, when we look at scripture, is that we think we have to be doormat Christians. We hear this number 77 times and we think, okay, that's it. Just lie down and experience and get the hurt over and over and over again. And this is not what Jesus teaches in this parable and in the other scriptures. To forgive does not mean that we tolerate the behavior and keep returning to it. We can forgive someone and still have healthy boundaries with them. Sometimes we need that space temporarily or permanently to be able to forgive them properly. I'm sensitively aware that in a group like this, a number of a group like this, statistics tell me that some of you have or and or are in abusive relationships. And I just want to say this. If you are, the first priority is not that you forgive them. The first priority is that you get safe in an environment that you are okay. Jesus never condoned abusive relationships. The other misunderstanding is this, is that offenders don't necessarily escape consequences or justice. It doesn't mean that your offender that hurt you goes off scots free. Sometimes for the offender and for the person hurt, you need some consequences. But this is where it gets a bit tricky, where usually you have to get people in the situation to get some wisdom and perspective to have this happen. And the last misunderstanding I just want to touch on is that people think forgiveness has to have reconciliation. And that's not the case. There are two different things. Reconciliation needs two people. It needs one person that is willing to apologise and is sorry, and then the other person willing to forgive. This is where you can build trust with that relationship again. Forgiveness needs just one person and God. And it's building that um, heart towards you to reduce that bitterness. It doesn't hinge on the other person to become repentant, it doesn't even hinge upon the person of being around. They could have passed away and you can still forgive them. So re reconciliation's a big topic, but we're not going to be talking about that here today. 
So what is involved with forgiveness? First up, we have to address the pain. The king acknowledged that there is a debt. He moved towards the issue. He didn't deny it. He didn't downplay that there was a debt. And with all the studies that I read about forgiveness, they said this, is that when you decide to forgive, the next step is that you have to be able to address and work out what the pain was to you. And if you can, articulate it specifically. So it's not just, oh, I'm annoyed that they left me. No, no, no. You are hurt because you felt betrayed by someone you trusted and you don't know whether you can genuinely trust that person again. Lewis Meads also said this. When we forgive evil, we do not excuse it, we do not tolerate it, we do not smother it. We look the evil full in the face, we call it what it is, let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, and only then do we forgive it. Denying the pain is not involved with forgiveness. And I reckon we've actually done this um, not quite right in Christian communities in the past. I think we've denied some pain. And I wonder if it's because we feel that um, anger is a bad emotion. We're not supposed to feel anger as Christians, and we certainly shouldn't feel, you know, the revenge in us. So what we do, and we don't know what forgiveness looks like, so what we do is we just we push it down and say, yes, it's fine, it's all good. Or the other reason maybe we deny the pain is that we think we can get to the result, uh, the end result, uh, by just you know bypassing those messy emotions of being hurt and you know those feeling stuff. Let's just bypass it. I'll be fine. I'll get there in the end with time. You won't. Um, and I'll just bypass and deny it. So what we do? We bury it, or we say we forgive them quickly. We hide it, we busy ourselves, we do everything we can to not address the pain. We forgive superficially. It's not from our heart, like the parable said. We've just done everything externally to make it look less messy. But internally, we're the same. I've great, um, I saw this cartoon up on Instagram. Now, I'm sorry, Enneagram 7s, it was targeted at you. But this can be all of us. Sorry, Dan. <laughs> so we've got, are you all right? Two thumbs up, but you're crying. Focus on the thumbs. We do this all the time. We deny it. We have to take the time to work out what hurt has been done to us. Next one is this. To release them is costly. Forgiveness isn't flippant. It isn't cheap. It will cost you something. Here in the parable, there was two debts. Yeah, there were hugely different amounts of debts, but there were two debts. And when someone hurts you, you often say this. You often say, you owe me. And it's true. They do. But if you are to forgive someone, you have to be able to release some of that payment. Tim Keller said this, Forgiveness is always extremely costly. It is emotionally very expensive. It takes much blood, sweat and tears. When you forgive, you pay the debt yourself in several ways. Forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. So the cost to us may be having to let go of this. 
for the respect they owe you, or the money or the time they owe us, or the emotional repair they owe us. We may have to give up the need to be the victim in this, the need for everyone to know that you were in the wrong and that you were right, or whether you feel that the offender needs to know exactly how much pain that they gave you. It doesn't mean it's fair. You may not get all the understanding of why they did what they did. And sometimes you may not even get justice. But it releases you from that pain. Like Lewis Smead said this, it releases you from that chain. So the only way to free yourself is through forgiveness. But don't be mistaken. It's often painful. Often takes longer than you think. And it is costly. Brené Brown says, in order for forgiveness to happen, something has to die. If you make a choice to forgive, you have to face the pain. You simply have to hurt. Forgiveness is so difficult because it involves both death and grief. Next one. I'll just touch on this a little bit longer. Rediscovering the offender's humanity. Often we look at the person that has hurt us and we dehumanise them. We see them and label them for their wrongdoings to us. We boil all the complexities down um, as a human down to the things that they have done to wrong us. We say this, Alicia, she's such a liar. Like, I know that she's changed and you know she's married and whatever. But deep down, she's, she's still a liar. And I noticed when I did this when I was watching David Letterman's program, who's watched that on Netflix where he's interviewing those celebrities. Yeah, no, just me, pretty much. Okay, fine. Um, okay, so he's interviewing these celebrities um, in their home and in their workplaces, um, and then they, he interviews them on stage. And I was scrolling down looking at the celebrities that he was interviewing, and there was like Kim Kardashian, um, you know, Jay-Z and Ellen, and I was labelling them for what I thought they were. You know, I was dehumanising them. I was like, uh, Ellen, she's fake, you know, in my head. Oh, she knew what she was going on in the show. Jay-Z, what a tool for cheating on Beyonce. Come to get Kardashian, don't start. So after <laughs> I did that, I was just... But then I watched some of the interviews, and especially after, the, like, the Jay-Z one, if you want to watch that, I was just like... I said to Rob, oh my gosh, Rob, what Jay-Z did was totally wrong to Beyonce. But I understand why he did it. He had no parental stability. You know, he didn't have any role models in his life. And so therefore, he didn't have an emotional IQ to be able to handle. And I was just going on and on and on. And I had started to have compassion for him. And I know they're just celebrities, but they're still humans. And we do this all the time. We need to work towards seeing the person that hurt us is more than what they did to us because they can be capable of more than that. We have to be able to have compassion for them like the king did and like Rob talked about last week instead of with indifference and in hatred. Muroslav Volf says this, is that when we objectify a human by their sin, we move the offender out of the camp of all humanity and then we move ourselves out of the camp of all sinners. We put ourselves in two different camps. 
we need to remember that they are broken human beings acting out of their brokenness towards us. That old cliche of hurt people hurt people. There's so much truth in that. And this does not minimise or excuse their behaviour at all by saying that they are a broken person. We're not saying that you need to go back and be buddy-buddy with them. Sometimes this may be the most unwise thing that you can do. What we're doing is we're acknowledging that there's complexities in them as human beings. And as Christ followers, we have to believe that God can restore and bring redemption to anyone. That God can change the most broken stories, the most broken human beings, into redemption and healing. Some of us are results of this. If we remain seeing them just as the offence, and we are not willing or wanting to see them truly restored, we can be a stumbling block for that person to be redeemed. That's a hard one to hear, eh? God can restore in spite of our heart towards them, but we can participate in God's story of redemption in their life. We do not have to be the ones to restore them, by the way. And you may not be there in that process at the moment. You may be resisting me totally at the moment. And that's okay. But this is the end goal that God wants us for. For us to participate in the story of forgiveness. We don't give up on people. 70 times 7. 77 times. And this is where forgiving others is our secret weapon as Christians. This is a way to combat evil. To change people's lives. And this is one of the most difficult, yet most powerful things we can do to demonstrate God's love and grace towards others, to participate in God's story. The last one is this. Forgiveness to others is the flow-on effect from the forgiveness from God. There's no getting around that there is a connection with understanding the forgiveness that we feel that God has given us, to the forgiveness that we give out to others. In the parable, the king said to the servant, you wicked servant, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And he said this, and this should rattle us a bit, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister. This may tempt us into thinking that God's love and forgiveness is conditional somehow. That if we are to forgive so many amount of people, that assuredly then we will be forgiven of our sins, as if we earn it. And this isn't what the scripture says. Tim Keller says this, this does not mean we can earn God's forgiveness through our own forgiving, but that we can disqualify it ourselves from it. No heart that is truly repentant toward God could be unforgiving towards others. A lack of forgiveness toward others is the direct result of a lack of repentance toward God. And as we know, you must be repent, repent in order to be saved. The servant that had just seen the king that had raised his trillion amount of dollars should be overjoyed, right? Like, imagine someone just like saying, your mortgage is gone, your debt of trillions of dollars is gone. He should have been just flying out of the room generously giving out to others. But he wasn't. The first person he saw, he's just like, that owed him a choke. 
He didn't grasp the enormity of what the king gave him, so he couldn't offer the mercy to others. Perhaps the reason why we have stopped forgiving others is that we have forgotten or don't realise the enormity of the debt that has been given us and continues to be forgiven to us. Maybe our relationship with God isn't where it used to be and we've forgotten the joy that comes when we experience the forgiveness towards us through God. And if the God of the universe, who knows how much we have sinned in our hearts and towards others, can have compassion towards us, who did everything he could do to have relationship with us, to cancel our debt and offer our forgiveness, who are we to not want to extend the grace to others? The ability for us to forgive and grace and compassion to others through our own might and strength will always be limited. If we are doing it solely because we think it's the right thing, right moral right thing to do, that's going to run out, be pretty fast to stop. The way to be able to give out this forgiveness is through a miracle. Forgiving someone can be just as much of a miracle as supernatural gifts or healing because it's through God's power and not through ours. It's a flow-on effect from what God has given us our continual relationship with God and the love and grace we experience, and then it flows out to others. So just going to ask um, G1 to come up and just do, do his thing there. Thanks. I'm aware that forgiving, like talking about forgiveness, is so much easier than doing it. I'm, I'm aware of that. However, the only alternative that we, we have of not forgiving is unforgiveness and bitterness. And it doesn't bring us freedom. The consequences of the bitterness is way much higher than forgiving. Um, a while ago, in a counselling session of mine, a counsellor said to me, um, who knew that I would be dead against talking about forgiveness, she reframed it, she was tricky, And she said this, Alicia, are you really wanting to heal from this? And I asked you the same thing. Are you ready to heal and be free from this? Some of you may be in the thick of it at the moment and have had such a deep wound that the step towards being obedient to forgiveness is just the desire to want to forgive. And that's okay. The king in the parable wasn't angry at the servant because they struggled to forgive. It was that they refused to forgive. And for others of you, you may have to do the mahi now, guys. It's been way too long that you have carried around this bitterness inside you. And you don't know yourself anymore without it. You've been knowingly or unknowingly transmitting it towards those that are around you. The only way to restore this healing and to release it and to say it's finished is to do the work with the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you, for those that feel that forgiveness seems impossible at the moment and that releasing the hurt and pain, that you are releasing it to a God that wasn't only doesn't just understand it, they were there to witness what happened to you and has compassion towards you. 
You may have this open wound that you don't know what to do with. But that can actually turn into a scar of a redemption story to others. He can change that horribleness into something good. So I just want an opportunity now to let God speak to us about this. If you feel comfortable, I'm not going to force you to do anything. There's no altar call, it's okay. So what I just want you to do is close your eyes um, and get into a posture of just receiving or just feeling comfortable or focusing, whatever it is that you do. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to say a few categories of, of people. And if God puts someone on your mind, maybe this is a starting point for you. a spouse you need to forgive an ex-partner you need to forgive is there a parent you need to forgive is there a step-parent grandparent something not right there and you need to forgive it is there a broken relationship with a son or a daughter sibling, family member, co-worker, a friend, flatmate, church leader. Maybe you need to forgive yourself. You're holding yourself captive and judging yourself for a sin you've committed and God's saying, I forgive you of that. You've got to let it go. So Father, thank you that you know us so well. You know what has gone on in our lives and you know our hearts. And no matter how hard it is, We want to say individually and as a community, our desire is that we want to be people of forgiveness. God, only in your grace and in your love can we understand and practice forgiveness fully. Lord, bring your peace and your love in the deep places we don't even know that we need it, Father. We thank you that you loved us first and helped to remind us of the truth of your love towards us and help us in the story of our forgiveness in our lives. Help us to trust you when we don't feel it. Help us to trust you when we know you know what's good for us. In your awesome name, amen.